open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. It is good to be under the shelter of God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Every time I think about Timothy, I, I often reflect and I am reminded that our faith is one that is often so generational, isn't it? Passed down from one generation to the other. And I know that I'm grateful for that generation that passed the faith that was once delivered to the saints. To that apostolic generation. And I'm thankful for the generation that passed it down to me. To my father and to my mother. Had a chance to talk with my father some this morning. And it's good just to hear his voice. And I was just thinking about how different my life would have been. Had I not grown up in the home that I grew up in. Now, I don't doubt that the Lord would have gotten the gospel to me somehow, and I'm grateful for His grace and for those who go and, and take the gospel even outside of their home, but I'm grateful for the fact that the gospel was in my home. Now, you may not have grown up in a home like that, but you can provide a home like that. So let's be faithful with what God's given us. All right, here we are in 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. And what we're going to read is just, uh, just a few verses here, but I'm telling you, they are some powerfully good ones. As Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, he writes, and I'll begin reading in verse number 12. He writes, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who is before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is, the fa this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, and only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you just help me to be faithful to it. Lord, empty me of myself tonight and fill me with your spirit. For, Lord, these are your people. And they did not come to hear me. They came to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would remove my flesh from out of the way. And, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would accomplish what it intends and what, what he intends here tonight. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You may or may not have noticed I caught myself with something I'm trying to rid myself of. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a He. We don't call Jesus Christ it, nor do we call the Father it. And yet we declare that there are not two persons and a being, but rather that there are three persons of the Trinity. 
And I'm trying to rid this from my language. I don't want to call the Holy Spirit it anymore because it feels so impersonal and so far away. And if there is a person within the Trinity that should be most personal, don't you think it is the one that dwells within us? Just wanted to share something I'm trying to do and maybe you can help correct me when you see me do it, do it wrong. Anyways, that's just extra. Um, that's all part of coming to Valley View. We'll put little extra nuggets on your plate all the time and don't even add it to the bill. All right, so here we go. There's a phrase in this that I want to draw everyone's attention to. And a phrase that I'm going to stay in the realm of for the rest of our time tonight. And here is the phrase. Verse number 16, it's at the beginning of the verse, and the Bible says this. It says, how be it, for this cause I obtained mercy. For this cause I obtained mercy. Whenever we look at the mercy of God, often we are basking in the glory of what it has done for us. And we focus on this cure of mercy. And we focus on this cure, the, the cure of sin. And we should rejoice and be glad in it. We should uh, give thanks unto the Lord for that cure of mercy, that cure against sin. Uh, for that merciful blessing that God has given us, it was the cure that brought us close unto the Lord just as I preached on Sunday. It was the cure for sin, but his mercy was more than a cure for sin. We glory in the fact that we are, are no longer strangers and, 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 and distant away from God. We are not orphans anymore spiritually. We've been adopted. Amen. We've been adopted by the Father. And because of that, we are joint heirs with Christ. And, and all of this is because of the cure of mercy, that, that cure that brought us nigh, that cure that purchased us, that cure that adopted us and, and gave us a place to be, a, a place in, in heaven uh, to be with our Father and to be with those who have gone before. And we glory in the cure of mercy, the cure of its sin, the, the cure of, of its adoption and its benefits and its blessings. But this is not talking about a cure. It's talking about a cause. It's, it does not say, how be it for this cure I obtained mercy. Although the apostle Paul did obtain the cure of mercy. It says, for this cause I obtained mercy. There is a reason that the Lord does not take someone the moment that they are saved and immediately extracts them from this earth and places them in that mansion. And it's not because the loan officer has to stamp the payment of Jesus Christ, nor is it because the deed has to be approved down there at the law office. It's not because the, the paint is not quite finished in this new mansion, nor because the central heating and air has been installed. Although I sometimes wonder what temperature heaven is. And I think if I were to poll the audience, all of you are going to have different answers. The reason I know this is because on the same day that someone complains about it being too hot in the church, 
church. Someone also complains about it being too cold in the church. And as a pastor, I don't know what to do about that. Except say switch seats, maybe. I don't know. But there's a reason. There's a reason that we are not immediately brought up to glory and placed in our, in our mansion. And it's because the Lord has us here for a cause, for a purpose, that he might achieve something both in us and through us that otherwise, without us, he uh, was not, go- that, or if I could say it this way, that he desired to achieve through us and in us. He has something for us to accomplish here on this earth. And the Apostle Paul says, for this cause, I obtained mercy. And I'd like to preach on that thought tonight. Because if Paul obtained mercy for this cause, and as he was writing to tell Timothy about it, the Lord preserved it in his holy word for us, then I'm just wondering, then if maybe, just maybe, the same cause is true for us. I want you to notice this verse, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And in this verse, I see at least three causes that we have obtained mercy. And again, just so that we are abundantly clear, I am not talking about uh, things that we must do to obtain eternal life because that's all part of the cure, not the cause. We're talking about two separate things here. So what cause, for what cause did we obtain mercy? If the Lord were to look down and and see a saved sinner, for what cause has he left us here on earth? And I would say that it is threefold. The first one is this. It is that God might show that God's might is able God wants to demonstrate something to the rest of the world. That's what verse number 16 tells us. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth. And the Lord wants to show the rest of the world a number of things. And I believe that that showing forth is not just for the rest of the world. But I think that that showing forth is also instructive towards us. In other words, there are some things that we might not learn about God if he would immediately take us to heaven that we have a chance to learn in this struggle here on earth. And I know that that might be hard to grasp because so often we sing those songs about further along you know, we'll learn or we'll know all about it. And you know, we talk all the time about, you know, maybe we'll know more about that when we are in heaven. And I believe that that's absolutely true. I think there's going to be a number of things that we are overwhelmingly confused about here on earth that when we step into glory and we are taught there at the feet of Jesus himself without being impeded by by my ears of sin, that we're going to learn much more there than we can ever learn here. But there are some things that I think that, that we can only learn here because they are learned experientially. Now, we won't have the struggle of sin in glory, but we have the struggle, struggle of sin here on this side of the story. 
We are not going to have pain and agony and suffering in glory, but we will have pain, agony, and suffering here on this earth. And there are lessons to be learned about how his, his presence will guide us through. There are things to be learned on this side about how his grace is sufficient in those times of struggle. For this cause I obtain mercy because God wants to show some things. First thing is God wants to show that God's might is able. One of the easiest phrases to look over in verse number 16 is the two-word phrase, I obtained. He says, how be it for this cause, I obtained mercy. Often we don't think about who we really are, but the Apostle Paul seemed to be overwhelmingly aware of who he was. In fact, he's already said it once here in this verse. He says in, in this chapter, I'm sorry, he says in verse number 13, he says it like this, who was before, speaking of himself, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. The Apostle Paul, he knew exactly who he was. And never at any time in his ministry did he forget who he was. He knew that he had hunted down believers in Jesus Christ. He knew that he was an enemy of the cross and an adversary of everything that God represented here on this earth. And the problem is this, that we have forgotten that we were the exact same way. The Bible says that before we were saved, we were children of wrath, that we were under the control of the prince of the power of the air, that we were enemies with God. That's who we were. And when we come to this phrase in verse number 16, how be it for this cause I obtain mercy, it's to show the apostle Paul that God's might is able to show God's might, to show that God's might is able. In verse number 15, the apostle describes himself this way at the very end of the verse, of whom I am chief, speaking of the chief sinner, that the Lord came to save sinners. You know what? Every single person in here that's received salvation is a testimony to the ability of God's mercy. And God's mercy is able. For me, there's so much that I know about me that you don't know about me. And I'm grateful but because, because God's mercy endureth forever. And because I have obtained mercy. And see, this glorious thing about the Apostle Paul's salvation was not just an internal thing, as I have pointed out, but it's also an external thing. Imagine all of those who saw the massive change in the Apostle Paul's life, how he went from a persecutor to a preacher. How he went from a murderer to a minister. And the amazing thing about it is that it was evident in his life. You see, that's why we've obtained mercy. That the mercy of God would be evident in our lives. We believe, don't we? Theologically, that the moment that you are saved, you are made a new creature. 
We believe that theologically, don't we? We believe that old things are, are passed away, that, that we have been made new, uh, that our sins are now as far as the east is from the west, that we are now inhabited and dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And as a result of that, we have been changed. We believe that theologically because the Bible teaches that. But can I ask you a question? The Apostle Paul says, For this cause I obtain mercy, for the cause of demonstrating that God's might is able. I believe that it was evident to everyone that watched the Apostle Paul's life. But I wonder if it would be as evident if everybody was watching our life? Would it be evident that you are a believer in Jesus Christ? Has it transformed us the way that it should transform us, the way that it transformed Paul, the way that it transformed Timothy, the way that it transformed these fishermen from Galilee, how they realized that their purpose was not the fish and the nets that they are dealing with, but instead that their purpose was to demonstrate the abundant mercy of God, to show that God's mercy is able to save even the chiefest of sinners. Because I will tell you that if we are not living as God prescribes for us to live, we are missing the cause that we are called to. If we are not able to, with our lips, bear the testimony of God's grace and God's goodness, then we are missing the cause for which we are breathing air. And I'm just going to slide this in. I would be nervous if the Lord looked down and said, he's really not fulfilling the cause. Why do I even have him down there? I'm not trying to like dangle you over the, you know, precipice of eternity, but I'm trying to dangle you over the precipice of eternity a little bit. We have to live being reminded that we have obtained mercy, not just to benefit from its cure, but also for this cause. God wants to show the world some things. He wants to show that God's might is able. That in our weakness, in our frailty, the mercy of God can do more, can accomplish more, can show more, can change us. I love how in the Bible it describes those that are weak being made strong. And where does that come from? That comes from the merciful grace of our loving Lord. It comes from our God. And every chance we get to demonstrate the might of his mercy, we need to be reminded that that's why we're here. It's to show everyone that his mercy is able. His mercy is able to cleanse even the weakest of us in our weakest moment. I love this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says that he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
The same one that wrote to Timothy writes to those in Corinth and he reminds them that it's not about our strength because for this cause we obtain mercy, not to show our strength, but to show that God's might is able, is able to overcome our sin, yes, but is able to overcome our weakness also. He says in the very next, there, next verse, therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, and many of you know it, then, then, then I am strong. Then am I strong. I've always been amazed at the fact that he does not say, then he is strong. Because whether we, we trust in him or not, he's always strong. But whether we rely on him or not determines whether or not we will be strong. And in weakness, we relinquish our ability to care for ourselves. In financial, financial turmoil, we relinquish our ability to pay for ourselves. When we lack the wisdom, we relinquish our ability to figure it out by ourselves. When we do not have the power, we come to Him. And that's why the Apostle Paul says that in my weakness, in this moment, in this infirmity, then am I strong. What is he talking about? Only in his weakness does he have the strength to proclaim the reason that he's obtained mercy. It's to show off how strong our God is. Now, I know that nobody wants to sign up for that task. Like no little kids are coming to the front of the class when asked by their teacher, who, which Bible character do you want to be? No kids are coming up. I want to be Job. What's a boil? I want one. For your sake and for your awareness and to run the risk of spoiling the, the spirit of the whole service, I was at youth camp um, very young, it was at a children's camp, and I heard that this guy was passing out wedgies. So I didn't know what one was. So I came up. I said, can I have a wedgie? <laughs> He's like, sure. <laughs> so I go, <laughs> He's like, I don't think you know what a wedgie is. I found out. Wow. I don't want one of those anymore. There are certain things in this life, and you're going to remember that illustration for a while. There are some certain things in this life we don't want. They're uncomfortable. They're hurtful. We spend our whole lives avoiding them. We pay massive amounts of money to avoid them. We go to school and we work hard and we study to avoid them. We put up with employers that we really ought not put up with. Why? To avoid some of those uncomfortable hardships. But some of those uncomfortable hardships the Lord will place us in and allow us to go through. Even if they are not his doing. Because our lives are not just about the cure of mercy but the cause of mercy. And only when we are brought low and made weak 
can we see how merciful our God really is? For this cause, I obtain mercy, the apostle says. That God would show us some things. The first thing is that we would, be, that we would show forth the fact that God's might is able. The second thing that we would show forth is this, that God's mercy is abundant. If you will look back to verse number 16, you'll find the very next phrase, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all, notice this next word, long-suffering. That Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering. That is to show that God's, God's mercy, it is abundant. I love that word long-suffering because it's one of those few words that really describes its own definition. To, to be long-suffering means that you are able to suffer long. And we talk about long-suffering all the time in terms of patience and in terms of our lives' experience. And if we're not careful, we'll read this verse and we'll think that the long-suffering has something, at least a little bit, to do with our displeasure or with our discomfort. But if, when you look at the verse, the word long-suffering has nothing to do with our discomfort or our displeasure or our patience or our long-suffering. It has to do with someone else's long-suffering. It has to do with the long-suffering of Jesus Christ. Look, look at it. Look at it when we come through for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering. The one that is, that is actively and objectively de demonstrating an act of patience is Jesus Christ. And isn't that the way his mercy works? His mercy is patient. His mercy is kind. I think about in the experience of the Apostle Paul's life, how many times the wrath of God and judgment could have and, and should have been poured out on him. Perhaps there first, as a young man, as he gathers and holds the coats of those killing Stephen and martyring him for preaching the gospel and, and Paul complicit in this act. In other words, he's a part of this. He, he wants this to continue. And perhaps this is the first instance in which God should have just opened up the doors of heaven and with a pillar of fire poured down his wrath on Paul, on Saul there at that time and consumed him in his, in his fierce and hot anger. For don't you know that God was an observer of that event as well? Have you ever considered the fact that when it says that Stephen looked up into heaven and saw Jesus standing on the right hand, that Jesus was, was Jesus not also looking down on Stephen? And even though Stephen was locked in the gaze of our Savior, were not all those that were also there in sight of Jesus Christ? It wouldn't surprise me at all if there were even some of the same faces there stoning Stephen that stood in that same crowd and cried, crucify him, crucify him. But the Lord did not pour out his wrath, but instead the only one that died that day was Stephen. Everybody else lived. That act alone is an act of mercy, isn't it? 
to live one more day having rejected the one who loves you most. And here is the Apostle Paul, not just having rejected him, but working against him, persecuting his children, trying to squash his gospel. And yet the Lord allows him to live another day and another day after that 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 and another day and another week and another month and another year until Paul reaches the age where he's now serving as a, as a Pharisee, locking people up and bringing them to martyrdom himself. So zealous in this work and now having achieved such great stature as the Lord's long-suffering waits on the apostle Paul to come. He tolerates this man Saul and he tolerates and he waits and he waits and it's only years. Years later, as Saul makes his way to Damascus, that the Lord Jesus Christ shows himself brightly. And if you remember the, Lord, the words of the Lord to the Apostle Paul on that road, he says this. He says to that man named Saul laying on the ground, he said, why kickest, or thou, thou kickest against the pricks, that is uh, this term like a, like a donkey kicking against the wagon that it's towing. In other words, it's, a, it's an idiom, if you will, to describe uh, resisting a work that God is doing on his heart. And this is what I learned from that, that even while Saul was persecuting the church, there was a work happening in his heart, but Saul was working against it. He was pushing it away. He was fighting against it. He was trying his best to reject it and deny it. But yet the Lord waited and the Lord waited and the Lord waited and the Lord did not give up on Saul. And then he gets to this place where he's telling Timothy about it. And as that quill is flowing on that piece of parchment, and he's already said um, that he is the chief of sinners. He's already described how he's a blasphemer and a persecutor. He comes to verse number 16, and with beautiful handwriting, no doubt, he says that he came for this cause. Or he, was, he obtained mercy for this cause, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all Long-suffering. We are here to show that God's mercy is abundant. When I think about the abundant mercy in Paul's life, I'm reminded about that same abundant long-suffering the Lord has had with me and with you. And with a burden, I think about so many who have children who have gone astray, who are far away from the Lord tonight, and they're heavy on your hearts. Many of them I pray for by name. And I want to bear this burden with those parents and grandparents who are so grieved about the decisions of their children. And I'm encouraged in this. Because there's a point in time where Paul was that child. And yeah, your child may be far away from the Lord tonight. And you may be wondering if it is possible for them to ever, ever come back. Could I just remind you about something? That we are here to show that his mercy has some long suffering to it. Yes, it grieves the heart of the Lord too as he looks over the balconies of heaven. And sees that child or that loved one so far away. 
And you're not the only one that's grieved about him, for I believe that the Lord has a, has a, a long-suffering and endless love even for that one sheep who's so far away and desires to go through the dark night and through all the storms to, to bring them back, that they might step into the fold of his mercy and enjoy the benefits of his grace and, and glorify his name once again. But from now until then, let's take hope and be reminded that for this cause Paul obtained mercy not just to show that mercy was a cure but also to show that there's a cause of it that there is a long suffering nature that God wants to display every time that a sinner is saved every time that a backslider comes back to him it's to show that his mercy is abundant and it extends forever Oh, it encourages me when I pick up the prayer list and I see uh, that, yes, there's, a, there's some names that have been on there every single week, but God's mercy's been there every single week. I love that his mercy is so abundant. For this cause, church, albeit for this cause, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering. I want you to notice the next phrase. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Why have we obtained mercy for this cause? That God's might that everyone would see that God's might is able, that everyone see, would see that God's mercy is abundant, and so that everyone would see that God's mission is being advertised. God's in the advertisement business. Now, that may sound cheap to your ears, but do not the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show His handiwork? Does the Bible not say that, that we are his workmanship, that we are created in Christ Jesus, that we should show forth his works? Does the Bible not also see that we are created in his image after his likeness? You see, we are here that we might show forth some things, that we might show that God's mission is being advertised. Now, in terms of the apostle Paul's life, I don't know if they're gifts any better advertisement than that. I mean, everybody knew who Saul was. He knew, everyone knew who Saul was killing. All of Saul's friends knew exactly where he stood. And Saul got some good advertisement in for the Lord, I'll tell you that. He advertised among the Pharisees. Every Pharisee was talking about it when Saul didn't come back from Damascus. He advertised it among the Sanhedrin. Every unbeliever in that crowd was wondering what has happened to Saul. He advertised it among the apostles. The apostles knew it so well that they were afraid that he was just trying to infiltrate their ranks. It's true. Go read your Bible. Barnabas was the only one with, the only one with enough guts to go reach out to him. And then what did Paul do for the rest of his life? He advertised it in Antioch. And he advertised it in Lystra. And he advertised it in Corinth. And he advertised 
baptized it in Galatia and Phrygia and in all of those places in Macedonia and in Greece and in Rome. And when I look at my Bible, I notice he's still advertising it today. The Apostle Paul, he's still waving the flag of God-breathed, inspired scripture saying, hey, let me remind you that I am a sinner and I was saved by his mercy and I was here to show forth that God's mission is going to go forth. When I look at the close of verse number 16, I'm telling you, it, it, just, it just refocuses my whole life because I look and I notice that the Apostle Paul had some perspective on something. He had some perspective on those that were going to follow after. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Remember how I told you at the onset that I'm grateful for the generation that came before me. We have a generational faith. And we often are grateful for being able to be a recipient of a generational faith, but we sometimes forget that what that means is we have an obligation to the generation that comes behind us. And it is for that generation, for this cause, that the Apostle Paul recognized that he obtained mercy. It was that there's another generation coming up. Now that generation might not be in your household or it may be, but I'll tell you, uh, there is another generation that's watching you and they are patterning their lives after you. I have been studying church history just a little bit here recently and, and let me tell you something that dawned on me. What dawned on me is that the study of church history is just the study of one generation of believers following the precedent set by another generation of believers. How did we get here today? I'll tell you how we got here today. There are some people a couple generations ahead of me that were gathering down at a little place on East Oldham Street. And they called it East Oldham Baptist Church. There was a pastor down there named A.J. Crawford. And he got a burden for the Lord and was preaching his guts out. And people were, were getting saved and the church was getting full. And he decided that, that things needed to march on. And, and what he did is, is he had enough guts to come to Valley View Drive and clear off some trees and to build a building and do something that Baptists are not very, um, uh, very good at doing. We'll just say it that way. They changed some things. They changed their location. Could you imagine? I, I, I think, I think that we would have a pretty good response. But what if I were to just announce uh, that we're just going to change location. We're going to meet somewhere else. I, I, I know what you're thinking. Well, I hope it's closer to my house. <laughs> well, if it's closer to your house, it means it's probably closer, farther from my house. And then it's kind of like that hot and cold thing. No. 
I would love to be like right at the intersection of 640, 75, and 275 right there off Clinton Highway. In fact, if someone could just pray down fire on, what is it, Wallace Nissan that bought that little dealership. If they could just give that to us, that would be fantastic. Don't pray down fire on them. Let the Lord bless them after they give that to us, right? That'd be fantastic. We're not good at change, are we? But there was a generation that had enough guts to do it. And faith. I didn't lay one plank. Nor did I put one shingle on the roof. It was the faith of others. It was the faith of others. And then they passed it down to, to their generation. To their next generation. And now here I stand behind this pulpit. And it was handed down to the generation that came before me. When you study church history, all it is is a study of one generation following the pattern of the generation before them. And here's what you find in church history. You find steady decline. You find steady decline because it seems like, like generationally, sometimes that next generation just doesn't have the fire or the fervor. They don't have the faith of that previous generation. And every now and then, this unusual thing happens called revival. And revival steps in, it's not just one generation following the pattern of the previous generation. It's one generation that thoroughly gets right with God and decides they're going to be his generation. And there have been revivals like that in this country. There's a revival like that called the Great Awakening that stirred this nation from the north all the way to the south. You believe it? It started in the north. That's how we knew it was a miracle, right? I mean, they, were, they got thoroughly right with God above the Mason-Dixon. No, it hadn't been drawn yet, I don't think, right? I mean, it was actually the colonial era. I mean, we were downright British, but God moved and stirred a nation. And it was almost like he took a generation of believers and brought them up to glory. And once again, they were able to set a pattern. But then what happened? Generations followed and generations followed and generations followed. But there was this glorious thing called revival. I don't know if we're going to have a revival in this nation or not. But oh, if we do, I sure don't want to miss it. I want to be a part of it. I would love to be just a little bit of kindling for it. Even if I don't get my name spoken or said. Even if I don't get to preach in it. I don't care. But if I could just be at like the little kindling that the match gets to hit for just a moment. And then I'm out of here. That's fine with me. I don't mind just, just one bit. I just want to taste revival. If I can't, can't find it nationally, I want to find it personally. And then I want to do exactly what Apostle Paul did. I don't want to reuse revival just to be part of my cure. I want to recognize its cause. For this cause, I obtained mercy. For this cause, I was revived. Not just so that I could be closer with the Lord. But for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. You see, God's mission needs advertised in our life because there is a generation that follows.
And that generation needs to taste and see the things that the apostle mentions in the next verse. Now unto the king eternal, this next generation needs to see that there's a king eternal. Needs to see that this king is immortal, invisible, that he is the only wise God. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Why did you obtain mercy? Was it just for your cure? Or is it for this cause? 